Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. There's a place where the Father comes in and shows us what reality is. In Him, what's unseen becomes more real. When we surrender to Him, He is more real to us than what we see, what we feel. It's a shift in the construct that we base our interpretation of evidence on. He becomes real. The unseen becomes real. So we just thank you, Lord, for, for showing us what this is a shadow of. You said that what we see is just a shadow of what is to come, and, and what, what we don't see is, is what is more real to us. And we see the truth in, in your word. We see the truth in, in the spirit, in the, in the mind focused on the spirit, the spiritual mind. And in our identities as sons and daughters. And in our identities. Thank you, Lord. So tonight, we're actually going to be in six and seven, and hopefully eight. We're going to be pushing for... I need tissue. Halfway through eight, at least. But uh, we spent a lot of time in... King James, New King James, The Passion, NLT. Um, and I really feel like tonight we're going to be reading the majority of, of the book or the chapters out of the New King James tonight because it has kind of a, a more holistic picture um, for, for what we're going after tonight. We uh, finished up Chapter 5, saying, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's where we start tonight in Romans 6. So we're just going to go ahead. Well, I want to invite you guys as well. This is... uh, we call it discipleship. It's a kind of a relationship study, a relational study. Uh, so please feel free if you have comments, questions, if you hear something that might, um, the Lord might give you uh, something to expound on or a testimony to share. Uh, we'd like to open this up for an interactive um, study of the book. So... Just keep that in mind. And just going into this, so Romans 6, 7, and 8 is my life. It is the last 20 years of my life is Romans 6, 7, and 8. This is a very personal, these are very personal chapters for both of us, but the Lord has done more through Romans 6, 7, and 8. And I didn't even know that I was living Romans 6, 7, and 8 when I was. Um, so there's just very personal chapters. And um, there's going to be a lot of testimony tonight. So if the Lord speaks to you, moves to you in any way, 
Um, yeah, that's good. So we're just going to jump right in. We're going to go ahead and start reading out of New King James. We're going to read, let's start with uh, verse 1 through 14. And I apologize for my voice. It's not where it needs to be yet, but we're getting there. So Romans 6, verses 1 through 14, Marianne, is what we're going to be reading. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that Christ may abound? Certainly not. How shall he who died to, to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So when we first got into this, what struck me the most was this question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That question sounds like a logical question, like, Maybe we should answer that question. But what it drove me to, first off, it reminded me of the, um, the Israelites just a few months into their journeys in the wilderness wanting to turn back to Israel, or back to Egypt, going back to your sin. We were just freed, but we're just going to, why don't we just go ahead and head back? Why would they want to do that? And it's because of this thing called a paradigm. And let me uh, read to you the definition of a paradigm. It 
It is a philosophical or theoretical framework for a scientific school or discipline within which theories, laws, generalizations, and the experiments performed in support of them are formulated. In layman's terms, it is a way of understanding what we experience. It is the, the, the framework that you use to interpret data. That's the paradigm that you're living in, or that's the, that's the way you, you understand what, what you experience. So there are old, there's a paradigm there. We all lived in a, in a world, well, we didn't live in a world, but there was a time in the world when humanity thought that the, everything revolved around the earth, geocentricity. And it was the concept that the earth was the center of the universe, everything revolved around the earth. This was an accepted construct. This was, this was what everyone believed to be true. So you could formulate questions, try to understand things around this idea, and then the paradigm shifted. And they come to find out that, no, the universe doesn't revolve around the earth. No, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. The earth revolves around the sun. The sun revolves around the galaxy. There's this whole other structure. So this was a shift in the paradigm. So after we realized that, yes, the sun does not, no longer revolve around the earth, would you ask, so how fast does the sun revolve around the earth? When you no longer believe that the earth is the center of the universe, can you ask the question, how fast does the sun revolve around the earth? The question sounds ridiculous because it's based on an old paradigm. And there was a time when that question had logic and that question had meaning and you could study it. And, but when we shift to a new paradigm, a new way of understanding, a new structure, that question no longer has value. So this first, this chapter six is really explaining the shift from the old man and the old way of understanding sin and the old attachment to sin and the new man and the new attachment. What, what our relationship is now to it is completely different. It's a completely new paradigm, a new way of thinking. So when the Egyptians were... Well, and that's why he, that's why he exclaims right off the bat, of course not. That's, it's like saying that's a ridiculous question. He starts off right off the bat. That is a ridiculous question. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? That just makes no sense. So there was a ridiculousness in that question, but there are people who are thinking in that old way of thinking, that old paradigm thought process. So he has to address this using examples and words from the, from the old process to move them into a new process. Which, like I said, reminded me of the Egyptians or the Israelites returning to Egypt in, um, in Exodus 16, 1 through 3, it says, 
On the 15th day of the second month, after they departed out of the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel upon, said upon them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we had sat by the fresh pots, and when we had eaten bread to the full, for ye have brought us, ye have brought us forth unto this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They were wishing they had been back in Egypt because they hadn't understood the fullness of what was ahead of them. All they saw, all they were interpreting their experience with was the old information that they had. They didn't understand what this, this um, land that, that the had, Lord had prepared for them, the, the greatness of their nation, the, the generations of blessing they were about to experience. They didn't understand any of that because they were still using the old paradigm to try to interpret the experience they were in. It was also the familiar versus the unfamiliar. That's exactly right. In Numbers 11, 4 through 6, it says, And the mixed multitude, this is a couple of books later on, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us fresh flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we had eaten in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our souls are dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. They go about wishing they were back in Egypt again, not once, but twice. Romancing the days of slavery. Romancing the days of slavery. They were enslaved. They were a nation without freedom. But their paradigm didn't allow them to see what was ahead of them. And just how miraculous the fact that Father God was providing fresh manna for them and leading them on with a fire. Like, you know, just, that's so awesome. And they're like, no, no, let's go back and be slaves when we had cucumbers. <laughs> I just think it's funny. So he's explaining to us how we're in a, we have a new nature. So we need to see things differently. We cannot go back. There's, no, there's, not, there's not a way to go back. Once we have died to sin, we're moving into a new and a fresh identity, a new and a fresh nature, a nature that is not a sin nature. And then here in 14, he says, for sin shall not have dominion, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. He's, 
And in the next chapter, we're going to see that being under the law actually gives sin dominion over us in a sense. That's what he's referring to, is that being under the law actually opens us up to sin because we're recognizing what's asked of us now. And when you're... Philip? You have a microphone? I was noticing that Philippians 3 uh, seems to kind of parallel what you were saying because he, he talks about uh, there in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 3, he says, uh, we are the ones that are truly circumcised because we now worship by the power of God's Spirit, taking pride in Christ Jesus, but we don't brag about the things we have done. And then later he talks about how that he used to be circumcised and he was keeping the law and he was trying to do everything perfectly and uh, now that he's now that he's uh, knowing Christ and knowing the Holy Spirit there's no way that he can go back to where he was and then he, he, the other thing is verse 14 says I run toward the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven and he says but I forget what is behind and I struggle for what is ahead so it sounds like the it sounds like what he's trying to say is that he's no longer keeping laws and, and focusing on circumcision. He counts that all garbage, but now he's uh, pressing on trying to know Christ better, to brag about Christ, and to just put his total faith in Christ. I think that's kind of what you're saying, and it seems to be in parallel those those two places in the Bible. Right. As you start going into Ephesians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Colossians, there's so many mirror, almost identical scriptures to Romans. Um, Actually, while he's in Rome, just a couple of years after he wrote this letter, he's writing to the Ephesians, and he's writing almost the same letter at some points. And Colossians, yeah, it's so it's yeah, it's beautiful because so it's it just it's not an easy concept. It, it's not an easy concept, and I would I would wager to guess that that some that some of you when you're reading through chapter six and chapter seven, you're like, what is that? Does that even does that? There's still, there's some there might be some confusion left in there, and I want to um, encourage you to um, remind be reminded that this. This is God's word, and it, it, it is perfect and infallible. That's, we, live by, we live by the word. This is what we have. And we understand it through the spirit. The things of the spirit are not, they don't make sense to the, to the carnal mind. The things of the spirit make sense to the spiritual mind. So there is a spiritual mind, there is a carnal mind, and we want to make sure that we're looking at things in a, spiritual, in a spiritual mindset. And in doing that, we will see the truth and the, the unity of the word. Now, in the carnal mind, there might be some confusion. So I would say, say uh, please pray into more wisdom. If you find yourself second-guessing or not understanding the word, really seek Holy Spirit to cover you in wisdom and how to, how to see it in, in unity.
All right. Verse 15. So from, we're going to read from uh, chapter 6, 15 through 23. And this is where we see the shift in our nature. So Marion, it's 15 through 23. Okay. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. There it is again. We got to pay attention when things get <laughs> when things get repeated. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God, can, I'm going to read that again. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. It doesn't say faith. It doesn't say hope. It doesn't say love. It says obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God and have your fruit to holiness in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see, he, first he says, I'm speaking in human terms. He's, he's saying, when I'm saying slaves to righteousness, I don't really mean you're enslaved. He's not calling you a slave. He's Whoa, using, man. He's using terminology, human terminology to explain spiritual things. He's, that's, that's his words. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So he's talking about the shift in nature. First, we're the slave to sin which leads to death. So when we're, we're slaves to, to that which, which we obey, so we, when we're slaves to sin, we're obeying that sinful nature, and that's leading us to death. And even in that, they heard this good news. So he's actually, he's, he's praising them, saying, even though you were slaves to sin, you heard this good news, and you believed it in your heart. You obeyed from the heart and from the doctrine in which you, you were delivered. And you have been set free from sin. So he, he's, 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 he's telling them that, you know, he's really grateful to hear. We talked about the church in Rome and how it was formed organically. There wasn't a mention of any of the apostles ever going to Rome to build this church up. It was a center where the ideas and I, um, it's a, it was like a melting pot. It was like all the different beliefs of people traveling would be filtered through there and culminated and, and birthed on its own, um, this faith in Jesus Christ. So he's, 
I think, I feel like he's really, uh, you know, giving them a pat on the back. So we have, then you were slaves to sin, now you're slaves to righteousness. And then he talks about the fruit of that sinful nature. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. When you were slaves to sin, you didn't know of righteousness. You were free from it. Righteousness wasn't a thought. You were perfectly oblivious to it. We'll get there. She wants to get to wretched man so bad. (laughs) What fruit, though, did you bear when you were in that, when you were a slave to sin, which you were now ashamed of? So, This is, this is difficult for me because there are a lot of things that I was ashamed of when I was a slave to sin. There were a lot of things that I was ashamed of. There was shame attached to that slavery. I wasn't a believer. I wasn't saved. God was not on my radar. I was a slave to sin. And this was, you know, 20 years ago. And I was, I was, I was gratifying my flesh. That was my focus gratifying my flesh. And it led me into many situations that I am ashamed of. There are situations that there was a time when I spent, um, there was like a month I spent down in Hawaii. And I went there with no money. And a friend of mine, and I told him I, I had, I didn't ever tell him I didn't have any money. But I went down there with no money and a blank checkbook with no money in my account, and I wrote bad checks. In Hawaii, that's how I maintained this party lifestyle that I was seeking after. And I lied to him, told him, you know, you pay for this stuff, I'll pay back when we get back. So here I am being a slave to my flesh, doing whatever, and having no qualms with it. It wasn't like, I, it, it didn't affect me at the time. Well, later on, this friend of mine, he ended up committing suicide. And the first thing that on my thought process was, well, now I don't have to pay him back. And I was so ashamed of that, that thought process, because it was focused solely in that sinful nature. And not too long after that, I was, uh, I was renting a house from an old man who was living alone, barely getting by, and I would get behind on rent and, oh, I'll pay you, I'll pay you, but he was old and didn't want to hassle me, so I took advantage of that. And then he dies. And I was, I owed him rent, but I took advantage of his death again to get out of debt and not to honor that debt. So these are things that I was ashamed of. That were, these were the fruits of the sinful nature. Now, I'm able to share this with you because I'm free of that shame. Because of this new nature does not carry shame. This new nature um, carries fruits of righteousness. We're slaves to righteousness. Our, we have a, a nature of righteousness and it brings sanctification. It doesn't bring shame. 
in this new nature. So I can look at those and think about what the Lord has brought me out of, the things that he has changed in my heart. The Holy Spirit has taught me how to honor those in my life, not just financially, but just um, in friendship and in relationship. So I'm sure there are things that maybe some of you might be ashamed of, but I want to tell you that when we shift to that new nature, when we shift away from the, the sin nature, that shame can be broken free of. And so something that I want you to think about, this church has a lot of words about revival. But I think what we really should be praying for is repentance. Because revival is the byproduct of repentance. And I want to encourage this body to take Romans 6, 7, and 8 and really study it because we're going to have a lot of broken people in here and they're going to need people that can hold their hand and walk them through the steps of transformation because this doesn't happen overnight. And when we were asking Holy Spirit what he had for Global River, what, what manna do you have for them? There was, and we're going to unveil more of it, but that was one of them, was we need to remember that these people, just because you get saved doesn't mean your life radically changes the next day, and that we need to have a lot of grace and mercy and help walk them through that transition. It can radically change. That is an option. And sometimes you receive Holy Spirit and you are a new man. Sometimes it's a process. And in chapter 7, we're going to see this process. Yeah. We're going to see there's a... Uh, That's so good. Let me pull this up. And the other thing is to remember that we are all nothing without Jesus. And we are all equal levels, regardless of how long you've been walking in the Lord or not. We are 100% equal across the board. Not one person is better than another. And it's very important for us to stay humble and to stay low so that we can remember that we are nothing but a wretched man without being in Christ Jesus. So those are the two things that I just want everybody in here to take and swallow and let it swallow it deep down and spend some time in Romans 6, 7, and 8 in particular because I think it is the key to discipleship for those that are new in Jesus and to bring them up into maturity and to give us the reminder of being humble and that we are no better than them no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. Just, all right. Bill, Hold let's on, get Bill. A let's get you a mic, you, sir. So we can hear you. Before we go on to um, Bill, Romans we, yep, 7. There you go. I'm glad that we 
started in 6 because chapter 6, verse 3 was really prophetic for me. It really hit me, and it never hit me like this before. And it says, and I'm reading from the... Um, Make sure you keep that mic up, brother. Can you hold the mic for him, Jim? Yeah, let Jim, let Jim hold it for you. I got it. I got it. Uh, chapter 6, verse 3. This, this is what really hit me prophetically. Do you not know that we who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now that really, that really hit me, and I've read Romans many times, but it's, do you not know that we who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? I got it now. It never hit me like it hit me tonight. So I'm glad that we started in chapter six because I yeah. Thought yeah, death is a death is a finality. There's a there's a there's a specific ending in death. There is no that's it. Christ was the only one risen, and we were risen with him into something new. This right. is not well. Let some of this old stuff is going to trail along with us, and we're going to keep. No, this is that's death. It. This is it. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's right. That's good. Thank you. So in seven... Well, I think Pastor Tom has something. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I just wanted to... This chapter did a lot for me early on when <clears throat> it still deals with choices. It's what he made available to us by what he did. We've been crucified, but when you, when you really think of what, what crucifixion did I go through, it is the choices. And he, he, he kind of highlights in, um, in chapter 6, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign or don't let it. So there's the choice. Mm -hmm. You have a choice to make yourself available to what he made available through your choices. And I think I've shared this before. Um, the, the In verse 6 where he says crucified, that, that word in the Greek actually means kartageo in the Greek. It means deprived of power or unemployed. So you can make yourself available by the choices you make by what he has done. If you come to the revelation and the realization, crucify your, your flesh through the choices you've made because he's unempowered or deprived your flesh of the power if you choose it. Because right. then he goes on, he says, if you let sin rule, you become a slave again, right? And, and then it goes down this deep, dark hole in verse 19. Because of the weakness of our human nature... I use this illustration of slavery. Don't let yourselves become slaves again because it'll lead you into deeper sin. So again, it's that whole choice of what he made available to us, but it still comes back to your free will. Crucify your flesh. That's the stuff we make at night when nobody looks around, nobody knows what we're doing, what you're thinking. There's the crucifixion of your choice that really brings this thing to life for us. And we know that... Um, so. And we're that, actually going to get into that. Me. We're going to get into that here in chapter 7 where he talks about what he, his will is and what he actually does. So that's where the will and the do meet because our will is that we serve God, that we are righteous. But 
our flesh, in our flesh, we do other things. And there's a purpose, there's a reason that, that those two things don't, don't quite, quite line up. And, that's, and I'm going to go off of this commentary with Andrew Murray. He was, um, he was a um, He preacher. was a Scottish missionary pastor in South America, and he was part of the Second Great Awakening. In Very fascinating man. 1850-something. Um, but I, he, yeah. he did a commentary, and he broke it into a four different stages of this paradigm shift that I was talking about. And it's um, the re- regenerate man, the impotent man, the wretched man, and then the almost delivered man. So we're going to see this in seven, this progression, and this will versus do versus choice. We're going to see all this that Pastor was just talking about play out. And then finally, how to overcome that. Say those four again. The regenerate man, the impotent man, the wretched man, and the almost delivered man. So let's go ahead and go into um, Romans 7, verse 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. By the way, he goes into this parable. We'll get to that when we get to that part of the scripture. So for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no longer, so she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. This is the only time that spirit is mentioned in Romans 7, but it mentions law 22 times in NKJV. So in the law, there was still sin. The law did nothing to stop sin in the flesh. It didn't even, it, it's, it gave you ways to atone for sin. There were sacrifices and festivals and, and days to keep, to stay righteous. But it never stopped the sinful nature. So the law was part of this old paradigm, this old understanding of sin, where that was part of life. So we do these things to be right with God. 
we, we give him so many birds or the goats or whatever sacrifice for whatever sin that we may have committed. It, it's not we don't commit the sin. It's that we commit the sin so we pay the price to stay righteous. This is an old paradigm. This is an old thought process that he's, he's trying to pull them out of. So he uses the law itself to show how they can be pulled out of the law into this new paradigm. He says that when the, when the, woman di- when the husband dies, the woman's free from the law. So now we need to accept Christ's death as us also dying to sin so that are to the law so we can be free of the law into a new marriage, just like she could be free to marry anew. So we need to marry another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So this is, bearing, this is a new concept to them, bearing fruit for the kingdom, for God. In the old law, it was do what we're told to do to be right with God as a nation. We are God's chosen people because of who we were born from. It wasn't about trying to convert people into this faith. They were not evangelists under the law. They were a nation. They were just like uh, the American nation. They were just, they were concerned about their people, their, their laws and their celebrations and their ways of being right with God and their priests and their ceremonies. But they weren't trying to convert the nations now, yes, Marion? The difference between religion and relationship. It's all together. That was all religion. Do this, and then you'll be free. So we know how good it is to just have a relationship. Amen. Religion and legalism. Legalism, yes. So now he's using their own laws to understand how they can be married into something new and bear fruit to God. We, we think of bearing fruit we, f- for God. We think of bringing more people in. We think of encouraging the body. We think of what does your fruit look like? How can you tell a man's faith by his fruit? Right? This is a new concept to them, though. This isn't something that they focused on prior to. So now he has to bring them out of the law, and now he has to explain what it means to bear fruit for God. which we know is evangelizing, um, sozo, healing, praying for the sick, um, miracles. You know, it's, it's bringing more people into the kingdom. Philip? You mentioned focus earlier, and that's what was coming to my mind, how it talks about how that if you yield yourself to be in a, a servant to sin, you'll be a servant of sin. And now that uh, they've died with Christ, that now they're there, now they're living in the spirit. And I kind of used to wonder why does Paul just keep rambling so much about law and, and spirit? But um, the more you're talking and the more I'm looking at Romans, it's almost like our old mindset of following law or commands or, um, you know, trying to do things like you were saying, 
go to Hawaii and spend your checks and think more carnally. Um, it's almost like he has to keep pounding that into us that uh, now, now that we're saved by Christ that uh, we really have to focus on, like you said, evangelism and um, preaching and teaching and miracles and uh, tongues. And if, if we don't do that, then we can fall back so quickly back into our old mindset. Well, well it, it, I wouldn't say, I mean, I would say that once you're, once you fully shifted to this new understanding, this new paradigm, that idea of falling back is nonsensical. That's, that's what I was talking about between the two paradigms where you can ask a question with one old thought process and it makes sense, but in a new paradigm, that, that question has no bearing because it doesn't make sense to you anymore. So it's important that we make that shift, yes. But this is a process of how that shift is being made. Yes. So six, he's like, this is, this, is, this is the new way. This is the new way. You're dead to it. And then he starts talking about how you have to, what you have to do to make that shift into that new understanding. Because we're, when we're dead to sin, when we're fully who we are in Christ, when, we're, when we allow that Holy Spirit to guide us, when we, when we embrace that new paradigm, we start seeing the unseen as the real. Those thoughts of returning back to your vomit are, sound ridiculous. Yeah. So it really is a, it's a, it's a paradigm shift, and, and we're all in process in different places in that shifting. But it, that's what we're working through right now is that. No, and I, I haven't met one person that has walked away from Jesus that had been fully transformed. All the people that I've ever known that have never continued on in Christ was because they never made that full transition. And so that's why this is so important. And it's not about evangelism. It's not about the gifts. It's not about any of that. It's why the next chapter is all about the Spirit. We don't have to worry about any of that. All we have to follow is Holy Spirit. That's it. And being obedient in Christ and all of that stuff, it's just like revival being the byproduct of repentance. That stuff happens when you follow Holy Spirit in your 100% in Christ Jesus. Then that stuff is a natural byproduct. We don't have to seek after evangelism. We don't have to seek after the gifts. They will come out just by seeking Holy Spirit in Jesus. So that is, that's what eight's all about. But yes, yes, We're so good. <laughs> so good. But we are. Um, when we become married to this man who died, to him who was raised, now we're in this newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. So there's that new paradigm versus old paradigm again. So he continues to hammer this old, new, old, new. We have to make choices along the way to establish who we are in the new. And I think that those are the choices that um, Pastor was talking about at the, um, there in, in six. Those choices in, in that transition. So good. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and let you read however long you need to. I know you have a bunch to share. We'll see what Jim? happens. Jim? So, insider's tip to uh, the agency I work for. 
There's a very famous uh, training session that all who work for Secret Service go through. And uh, it, it, it's a very important training session. And it'd be sad for me to say it, but it is true. It is the assassination of Malcolm X. And in the assassination of Malcolm X, they had not Secret Service agents, but they had security agents placed throughout the front area where Malcolm X was. So they were placed here and here and here and here. And in order to get to the protectee, someone started a distraction way over there. And an interesting happened, thing happened was that all the people who were supposed to be protecting Malcolm X turned their heads and looked to the distraction. So that you guys can understand that someone going back to the old way of doing things, every one of them turned their heads. They were distracted for only the moment. And then the bad thing happened. So again, heed the words tonight that you heard from Alicia about it's a change in how we look at things. It isn't that you're doing things bad as a Christian. As your eyes weren't opened, your head wasn't on a swivel. You were so used to the distraction that you went back to what you wanted to do before. Instead of today's better way of protecting people, is to keep your head on a swivel, know the area, know the zone you're in, and make sure that you stay in good coordination with each other. Okay? Not enough said about that. Thank you, Thanks, Jim. One thing about, about that, Jim, is it's not even about being distracted. Until you make that full transition, your body, your members, your flesh is used to sinning. It has had dominion over you. So it takes time. It can happen in a moment. And some things it takes time for you to beat that old man down and go, no, stay down. I'm no longer going to obey you because you no longer have dominion over me. But it takes time for certain sins to come under that authority as you grow in it. Because as we read on, which we're just going to do. So Romans 7, verse 7. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So this is, remember, back in um, chapter 6, verse 14, where he says that uh, sin had dominion over him in the law. So this is, this is where we get into the understanding what that verse really entails. C.S. Lewis no man knows how bad he is until he tries to be good. That pretty much sums up <laughs> the, the law. Um, so, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. After he was told not to covet. Yes. So he was told that coveting is wrong. And in that, sin took the opportunity 
to produce in him all manner of evil desire. The law exacerbated our sinful nature and our desire and our need to sin. I love how Andrew Walmack, he believes that a part of that is because we were actually born to rule and to have authority here on the earth. So a part of that could come from the way that God made us. And then Adam had to go and muck it all up. But the law exacerbates our need to sin. And that's what the law did. It showed how sinful their nature was and how badly they needed a savior. So anytime, like with your children, you know, something simple I read, and it was, was, you tell them not to touch a button, and all they want to do is touch the button. Why? What's the button do? (laughs) I didn't even see the button until you told me not to push the button. And now that's all I want to do. Something that simple, that, that's exactly what happens with the law, with our sinful, you tell us not to do something and all we want to do is do it. So that's our nature. That is our old man. That's our nature. We can't, there's that's nothing the we nature. can do. Yeah, that's, that's there. So that's what he's talking about with, with the law exacerbating our need for sin. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Meaning, before the law, sin didn't have that power or dominion over us. That didn't happen. In, in, in Abraham and Noah's day, there, there wasn't that. It wasn't the law. There wasn't a law, so there wasn't this power their and dominion to sin. Their righteousness was based on their belief in what God told them to do, told, yeah. to, asked of them. The belief that the promises God gave them were true. That was their righteousness. It wasn't that they didn't sin. They didn't even know what sin was. Mm -mm. They just believed what God promised them. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And this truly is. He's saying I was alive once without the law. He was a baby. He was, you know, one, two, three. We are all alive for a certain amount of time without the realization of the law. And that's what he's talking about there. And the commandment, which was to bring life... I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Sin is so bad that he doesn't have to call it by anything else other than what it is. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. And what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. So do you understand what's going on here? He wants to do good. He wants to follow God. But there's this part of him that can't. Everything that he wants to do, he wills to do good. And his flesh is saying no, no. (laughs) 
But no, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's the key. Verse 17. It is no longer I that do this, but sin that dwells in me. So that idea, that's the idea of the regenerated man. He understands that it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. He, he's, he's beginning to see the regeneration that's happening in his heart, the nature having been renewed, and that sin is now a power in him that is not himself. He is now separated from sin. His, his identity is now separated from the sin nature. To sin is acting against your nature as a new man in Christ Jesus. You must acknowledge your sin, but understand that the impulse to sin does not come from our new man. I'm 38 years old, and I got saved when I was 22, and I struggled for over 10 years because nobody explained this to me. In third grade, I moved in with my dad and his girlfriend. My brother stayed with my mom. We have a very interesting family. Um, and I moved in with my dad and, and, and his girlfriend. Um, they've been together for 30-something years now. She's now my stepmom. And I was in gymnastics. I was in ice skating. I was in all this stuff when I was with my mom. And I moved in with my dad and Amy. And all, I didn't have any outlets. They didn't put me into anything. And uh, I was popular when I was with my mom in Anchorage and in this new school in, in Kenai. I just immediately became the, I was bullied tremendously um, every single day for years. Actually, it went on for 10 years. And food became a comfort for me, and movies became a comfort for me because I had no friends. Um, I was tormented every single day. And my parents, they didn't know what to do. Um, and I just quit telling them how bad it was because there wasn't really anything for them to do. And I was, I was just ridiculed tremendously. And then as the weight, and I gained a lot of weight because food became a comfort, and that made it worse. I had people sitting behind me, and they would, I, had a, I have a pug nose, and they'd call me Miss Piggy, and they'd make pig noises. And I had the table of all the popular kids. They would make fun of me as I was walking across the room, and... They'd call me, you know, my, my fat jiggles like jello. And I mean, literally, like out of a movie. It was just, it was for years, from third grade until 10th grade. Um, I'm, I was, it was, so the spirit of escapism was a big deal for me. And that's what food and movies were. And I also had absolutely no worth. And I thought that everything that I did um, depended upon certain things. Um, a spirit of law was actually starting to set in. I didn't even understand that. Uh, so everything was always my fault. And then we got introduced to a Baptist church. So when I got saved at 22, I was expected to immediately look like everybody else 
and act like everybody else and be clean as a whistle. And I was no longer supposed to be cussing or smoking or drinking or doing drugs or sleeping outside of marriage. My life was instantaneously supposed to look like everybody else's. And it didn't. And I always thought it was me, that I was never, ever, ever good enough. I was never going to live up to this expectation that I was never going to be able to achieve. And I had never been able to achieve that, the history. So the enemy used that history of being ridiculed and being teased in school to where I was also never going to live up to this new expectation, and I tried. I would try to quit smoking weed. I would try to quit smoking cigarettes. I would try to quit drinking. Can and, I interject really quick? Yeah. It holds your place, because you've already skipped from regenerate man to impotent man, which impotent man is to will is present. The will, I have the will. The will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I cannot find, I, I want to do it, but I cannot find out how to do it. That, that's the impotent man. And then that leads us into the next realization in this transformation process of the wretched man, which you're now yes. in the wretched man. So when I met Daniel, I was in this, well, first wretched man, oh, wretched man I am, from the depths of his heart, he says. Um, where am I at? Well, verse 18, for I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. That was my life. I would do really well for about six months because I could will myself to do what I needed to do long enough. And I was always good at maintaining some sort of outside persona. I was really good at lying to my parents. I was really, 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 really good at being a people pleaser so that people would see what I wanted them to see because I was so wretched and broken on the inside because I so badly wanted to be this clean person that I saw other Christians be and behave like. But I was never seemed to be good enough to be able to do that. I, I was always failing. I was never living up to this expectation. And so that kept me in a cycle of over 10 years of never being free because I never had one person sit me down with Romans and explain, verse 17, that it was my old man, that it was the sin in me that I had lived my whole life performing. That spirit of escapism turned into a spirit of addiction and it just followed me wherever I went. But it was no longer me. It was the old man. It was the sin so this this, her recognizing this, that brings her into the almost yes. delivered man. So in verse 20, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So my inward man delights in the law of God. So this part of me, I didn't understand that there was two in one now. Now, remember, he's using the word law to help them explain. He's just said earlier, he's using language 
to help explain to them something in the Spirit. He said in, at the end of chapter 6, I just want to read it one more time just so you understand why he's using the terminology law so you're not confused. At the end of chapter 6, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So in ways that you can understand, in this place that you're at now, I'm going to use these human terms to explain this to you. So that's why we see the word law of God. That's why we see that. So not, not to be confused of being under the law. Yeah. So the inward man, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Our inward man delights in the law of God. That is a beautiful thing. That is your compass. That's your compass. So my inward man delights in the law of God. My inward man wants to do good. So that is so important to know. So if you are coming across a new Christian, this is something that you can explain to them. Hey, it's going to take some time to put this old man completely out of business. But just know that your new man is desiring God, desiring Christ, wants to do good. And it's very important that they know so that they don't. This, this new hyper grace thing, I think, comes from a misunderstanding of your old man and your new man. I think that this hyper grace model, they are continuing to sin. They feel the shame so that they feel like they need to repent so that they can get right with God. But then they never diagnose what the real issue is. The real issue is that they never put their old man completely out of business. So that's where this hyper, hyper grace theology is coming from. When they just need to put their old man out of business, we need to squash him. But the only way to do that is we're fixing to go into chapter 8 is with Holy Spirit. And that's really what's missing from most people's lives is Holy Spirit. Because the only way, because what this is saying, I'm powerless to stop this. I want to do good under God. I want to seek after the law of God. I want to live a life unto him, but I can't. Oh, wretched man that I am. Dang it. How do I do that? Who will deliver me from, <laughs> from the, this, this body, body of, of death? death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That yes. realization brings you yes. into the almost yes. delivered man yes. because you see that it is through Christ. You're almost delivered. You have to come to the end of yourself. Terry? Pastor, Pastor Tom has it. I've dealt a lot with people who sinned over and over and over and over. So how do you, uh, 6-1 says, if this, it's not right to sin again and again and again. Right. So how do you tell people who have sinned and sinned and sinned for years, how do you tell them that there's still hope for them? Well, there's hope for everybody in Christ Jesus, right? The word says there's what, hope. what do you point to in the, the word. Bible? You can't convince them. You Holy, can't. Only Holy Spirit convicts them. It's a heart. It's to me, that's a heart posture. They have to want to change. That's where the choice comes in. You can't no, we make want, we want people. everyone to be saved. Right, but, we want everyone Roman to be healed. Romans seven says you can want all you want. But yeah. you can't get there no, without the Lord. Because you right. can't do it in your own will. You so what, have to do it. In Christ Jesus, they have through to make the power that of Holy Spirit. But what happens is they lose hope, and they lose, they get discouraged. And and I just, I'm I'm trying as as a young man reading this, I wrote the six, you know, six one says, it's you don't sin again and again. 
He's talking about in this new paradigm. Yeah. In this it, new thought process. You don't see it again and again, but then if you've done that, you haven't reached I the new paradigm never, yet. I guess I'll never do it. Because you haven't reached the new identity yet. You haven't put that old man out of business yet. You have not realized the need, the identity, the power, and the authority of the Holy Spirit. You have not realized that yet. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's your answer, Pastor Terry. They have to get to the end of themselves. But they see, they, have to a lot of times in reality, the they don't man. want to get to the end of themselves. And you can't help And they help know that. Romans 7 is there. That's, that's where they live. They live in the wretched man. They don't yeah. read on to the and next that says, thank God for Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. And I think that's, it's frustrating when you're seeing that all the time. And sometimes you just, I see my husband with a couple of particular people. He has to tell them the same thing over and over and over again and pray that one day it clicks, that it clicks in their spirit, man, that it clicks that their desire and their hunger to get to the end of themselves. Pastor Terry, I was so caught up in sin as a saved Christian. And actually this right I, anyway, as a Christian, we can spend our whole life in sin and never get to the end of ourselves. But it's not our responsibility on that person. We each walk out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We are not responsible for one another's walk in life or their, their salvation. We are not responsible for that. We have to just love the one in front of us and do what Holy Spirit is telling us to do. And that is to give them the word. And we cannot make them come to the end of themselves, but we can pray for it. And that's all that happened. They have to get to the end of themselves. July 31st, I was drinking myself six years ago. I was drinking myself to death. And I got to the end of myself. And I cried out to God in a way that I never had. And the power of God came down and smashed alcoholism off of me. And I was radically set free because I, could I not got convince her to, do that. to the end of myself. And I cried out, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this bottle of death? I had spent six years trying to convince her of it. Yeah, that's where I think in that uh, Romans 6... Our old sinful selves were crucified, cartageo, deprived of power given. In the whole addiction model, stuff we've struggled with, with our halfway houses and people that have really been in a form of addiction, you know, we enable, we enable. We get to a point where we stop enabling, and they got to get to the end of themselves. And then it's the revelation. Now, that's why Elliot Tepper was just here, right, from Battelle. 250,000 people have come through Battelle Ministries, uh, prostitutes, drug addicts. When they do it, they do it cold turkey in the Holy Ghost. It's no, you know, let me detox them. No, no, you detox. When you're in heroin, you ever seen a heroin addict in a detox? Let me tell you what. Most of the time they want to die. And it's a very convincing model to come out of, right? At least it's a remembrance um, when I've seen it several times. And so it's that place of revelation of being crucified with Christ. It's available if you'll crucify, but then you've got to fast you got to stop. That's why people go into the treatment facilities. They fast the substance, and they're given grace for a season. And it usually takes that demon of addiction, and it puts it on the shelf. But you still 
have to deal with the revelation. You cannot do this long term without the Holy Spirit. Now, the AA folks, we've had them as well. Constant meetings, a reiteration, I can't do this one day at a time. That's that revelation of I'm weak in me, but I can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit or through determination of will. And that's kind of where this chapter goes. And we have seen success like that in the Spirit. We have seen addiction broken in the Spirit. I came through uh, addiction. Uh, I got saved when I was 11 years old. Didn't know what in the world that meant to me. I think it was a lot of peer pressure. And then uh, at 27, I recommitted my life back to God. And I did it for my parents and my ex-wife. Still didn't know what it meant. Nobody told me anything of how I was supposed to live and everything. And then uh, when I was 37, I recommitted my life back to God again. And I started learning a little bit of what I was supposed to do in life. And what it was was I had to surrender. I had to surrender my whole life to God. Uh, when you clean the house out, the temple out, you've got to fill it back up with good stuff. Because if you don't, the bad stuff will come back in. Uh, Pastor Terry, you was talking about how this guy's asking. He's got to surrender. Um, for the last time, the third time that I recommitted my life, it was when I was 51. And that was in 2015. And now, today, I am living as a spiritual Christian. I live, I am so hungry and thirsty for truth. You can ask my wife. All we do is read about God. All we talk about is about God. That's, that's my life today, is God. Uh, I saw something on Facebook today, and it said, What is the Bible to you in one word? And I said, Instructions. It gives me the instructions that I need in life. Amen. Amen. Uh, real quick, before, before we get the mic to her, I want to share what Miss Addie says. You all know Miss uh, Miss Addie. She's, a, she's usually sitting back there saying amen. <gasps> Mama Addie, Mama she said, Addie, we love you. I miss we love you. you. She's, she says, you have to come to the end of yourself. Thank you. you got to hate what you do it yes. and cry out to God. That's when he comes. I'm living proof of that. Thank you. Um, I just want to say that I, I just I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this word so good tonight. And the best person to talk about being delivered is you about yourself. And you have been so powerful and effective to me. Even tonight, let me say something. I don't care how long you've been saved. The enemy is coming after you if you say you love God. And you got to do whatever it takes. Sometimes it takes running. It takes crying. You got to get to the house of God. You got to get on your face. Being delivered. God is powerful. He's not powerless. And when we're going through sometimes, we, we feel like, you know, God, you can't do this. But yes, he can. We need to submit. And pastor was saying, we got to fast. We got to pray. It's more than just telling people. Because you also got a mind. And the enemy will play with your mind. God trying to deliver your flesh, but here go your mind. And there was times that I know God had delivered me, but you got people, sometimes if you don't be careful, you will play with sin. Mm. You got to want to be delivered. Mm. And God is all powerful. He can do it. There's times, I mean, I have looked around and felt for this thing. Hear me. 
God delivered me now. And it's so much so till it was gone. But here go this fleshly mind looking for that, that dead man. And he yeah. coming alive because you ain't totally surrendered in your mind. You're almost well. delivered. You're exactly. the almost delivered exactly. man. As well as your flesh. And I just want to say I thank God for this, but this is the teaching. It ain't got nothing to do with your longevity and God, the devil coming at you one way or the other. And you got to let him know you have died. No longer I, but it's Christ that liveth on the inside. And you got to hate sin. You just got to not want that filth. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. You just not got to want that. Don't wanna, I don't want to feel that. And ain't nobody got to do nothing. I know who the devil is, and I don't want to feel that, and I'm going to get somewhere. You ain't got to force me. And I just want to say stuff like, for instance, if you can't, I work on um, Saturday nights, and I'm going to use a testimony. And look like it's been so hard, my sister, to get to church Sunday morning because I'm just getting off 7 o'clock Sunday morning. Okay, and it's just a struggle. But you got, we got to press. God said you got to press because you got to stay in his house. Because if you stay too many days out, you're going to give the enemy a foothold. That's what they used to call it. You're giving him a foothold. You're giving him something to fight you with. And you got to do, if you're having problems in your flesh, you ain't got no business looking at no sex movies. That ain't going to help you none. If you're having a problem with racial or something, you don't need to be talking about nobody. These are things you got to get where you can get help and stay delivered. Thank you for that time. Mm, amen. Thank you. Philip, let's go to Philip here. Yes. Oh, Lord, you're amazing. Okay. You're so Yeah, beautiful. I love what Sister Renee said about fighting the sin, fighting the flesh and fasting and praying. And uh, I think that is, that is powerful, and that's where it's at. Uh, but there are those, like Pastor Terry was saying, that don't really want to get there. They just kind of want to uh, stay in that place, and we have to pray and fast for them. But I, I think Romans 12 kind of answers a little bit about that. It says, uh, dear friends, God's good, so I beg you to offer your bodies as uh, living sacrifice. So he's begging the people to, to turn away from sin, pure and pleasing, that the most sensible way to serve God don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we do have to conform. We do have to transform our mind. We can't just uh, think that, that since we got saved and baptized that it just automatically happens. Um, right. And the thing with, you know, for those of us that are, that are in this, that have been in this, and I'm speaking for myself here, the hardest thing about coming across brothers and sisters that have yet to make this transition is just loving them where they're at, not judging them, and never getting tired of giving them the same scriptures over and over and over again. Because that's all we have to do. We can't judge them. We got to love them. And we got to never get tired of giving them the word. And for me, I can't do that without Holy Spirit and just without prayer. Um, I'm, I'm guilty of losing patience in those thoughts of, well, why does it matter? Why does it matter if I share that with them? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? They're just going to turn around and go drink at the bars. They're just going to turn around, and they're going to go do this, or they're going to go do that. But it does matter. It does matter because he tells us to. So we just have to love and not judge and never get tired of giving them the word. And Holy Spirit will always renew us 
if we stay connected to Holy Spirit, to the Father, to Jesus, then we'll always have what we need to not lose that love for them. Um, so I just want to encourage everybody with that. It's very simple. We complicate it, mm-hmm. but it's very simple. So um, we're almost delivered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I too wanted to share that uh, after he talks about that, he talks about how that uh, the people in the body have gifts and all. So if if there's not if if the if that person is uh, staying in sin, sometimes it can keep it can block the gifts and the, the Holy Spirit from doing things. What scripture are you reading from with that? Because I strongly disagree with that. Well, I'm I'm thinking about First uh, Corinthians three, where he kicked out the um, he kicks out that man for, for having sex with his mother-in-law. Uh, he tells him to leave the church. Um, yeah, no, because you have to remember the scripture that <laughs> you're casting out demons, you're doing all these miracles and doing all these things in my name, but I never knew you. So sin and actually not even being in relationship with Christ does not stop the flow of, of the gifts. But each individual thing, the Lord and you, he might do something to you individually, but I just, Matthew, it says something different. Um, and I also, anyway, so I just, to me, that's that's a difference. That's actually yeah. posing what you just said. It's, so I just wanted to clarify that. It, it's actually 1 Corinthians 5, and uh, we can talk about it later, but, but yeah. it is interesting because I, I see, I see two, two different ways of looking at it. Yeah, and there was a time when, just to get real transparent, um, my prophetic gift when we were going out and doing street ministry, I just never missed it. And I sat down with Holy Spirit, and I could feel pride welling up. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And Holy Spirit said, you're getting too big for your britches. And I'm going to knock you down a few pegs. And I said, then take it from me because I don't ever want to walk in pride, and I don't ever want to boast. So just take this from me. I don't want this gift if that's what's happening. And then he had me listen to something that said <laughs> how selfish that was, what I, because then I was withholding a gift for somebody else. The Lord wanted to use me. So then what I had to do was go, okay, I'm only going to do this, but in humility. So he had to teach me how to wield my gift 100% reliant on him and in that humility. And so just to, yeah, be transparent there if that speaks to anybody. Um, yes. Okay. Anyway, little we got on a little rabbit trail there. So, so we get to the, we get to <laughs> the end of in, chapter baby. 7 um, <laughs> with the almost delivered man. And the reason he is the almost delivered man is because he has only made the realization of what his deliverance looks like. And it is not until he walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and chooses to walk with the Holy Spirit that he truly becomes delivered. And we'll learn more about walking in the Spirit in chapter 8, and that's where we become fully delivered. So I just want to thank you guys for all your input tonight. Thank you for, um, real quick, Dan, Daniel, right? Everything you said was true. But each of us goes through our own experience in 
learning that. For me, as a young Christian, I was focused on, well, I had been raised on watchman knees, the, the basic Christian life, the normal Christian life, accounting that you're dead in Christ. And all, all that is true. So I thought to myself, we'll study the Bible. We'll learn every law we can. And then I'll be able to be like Christ. Well, it became a shock to me to discover that the more I learned the law, the more in bondage I became. I began to learn that the Bible was true when it said that the strength of sin is the law. I'll say that again because that's an exact quote in Scripture. The strength of sin is the law. I thought, what am I doing? The more I try to learn the law, the more in sin I become. It's because I was eating from the wrong tree. I was eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's the law. I had to learn to live and eat from the tree of life. That's Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, the life. So I said, how do I do this, Lord? He said, it's really simple. Galatians 5.16 puts it in one verse. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I said, how do you walk in the Spirit? Well, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You speak in your heavenly language. You do all those things, but you learn to walk in the Spirit. It's a process. It's a walk. And as you walk in the Spirit, you will start to experience what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says when a man fears the Lord, he will forsake his sin. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil and sin. And I said, Lord, give me this fear so that I will always want to follow you. You can do all things through Christ, which strengthens you. It's through the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus set the example when he said to John the Baptist, I got to get baptized in water to fulfill all righteousness. Why? To give us the example, to show us how it's done. After he came up out of that water, he was showing the example of, you're dead, you died with me. I went down into that water and I put the old man to death. And anybody who is saved went down into that water with Christ. What did that do? That stripped sin of its power. Sin no longer can force you to do what's wrong because you now have a new nature, a new nature that wants to follow Christ. That's right. Then Jesus set the example on how to follow. And we'll be getting into that in chapter 8. So thank you, Dad. That was the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. Thank and you. you will
no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof according to Romans 13 in the end last verse. That's by the Holy Spirit also. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we just offer this night up to you, Lord. We just say thank you for speaking uh, through us and, and uh, for Holy Spirit, for your presence, uh, for your wisdom, for your guidance. And we just pray that whatever was spoken here was pleasing to you and, and that it was sealed in the hearts of your people so we can learn to walk with you in more freedom and walk with you in more uh, fellowship. Uh, we just thank you for that. And uh, bless you guys in Jesus' name.